0: Uh, The first relationship between Cook and NASA started in the early 1980s. Uh, They wanted to develop a a central venous catheter they could put into an astronaut to uh, measure changes in the human circulatory system. Bill and Gail Cook never dreamed the catheters they started making in their Bloomington apartment in the early 60s would wind up in outer space. If there's ever a Renaissance person, it was Bill Cook. Cook's medical devices now lifesavers for people around the globe you know i could walk fast (laughs) i could walk up the stairs without stopping to take a break you know everything just went back to normal cook medical a successful very prominent indiana family-owned business now under the direction of crown point native pete yonkman my guest this week on the business and beyond podcast Bloomington-based Cook Medical is a company that walks to the beat of a different drummer, one that is in tune with lifting Hoosiers and their communities. I am bursting with pride for how you are doing what you're doing at Cook Medical.
1: I never thought I would be standing here today in front of all of you, getting ready to open up a manufacturing plant in my grandparents' backyard.
0: And giving hope and purpose to people with disabilities. They're not shy about saying, we work for Cook. The thought that they are doing
1: something that helps somebody is powerful for them. It motivates me
0: because it can potentially save people's lives. Bloomington-based Cook Medical and President Pete Yonkman in the spotlight on this week's Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Cook Medical has come a long way from those first days, 60 years ago, when Bill and Gail Cook started making catheters, wire guides, and needles in their Bloomington apartment. The company has grown into a global giant, 12,000 employees around the world, providing medical devices to some 135 countries. And President Pete Youngman is making sure the Cook way carries on. It's not all about the bottom line dollar. Cook Medical is about community whether it's creating job opportunities in a rough area of Indianapolis or giving people with disabilities a chance to fulfill their potential. And I'm really pleased to uh, have Pete Yonkman, the president of Cook Group and Cook Medical, join me on the podcast this week. Pete, how are you? I am doing fantastic,
1: Gary. It's good to be with you again. You know, I got to say, I just want to say congratulations again. I know it's been a little while, but uh, I tell you what, I I find that uh, the IBJ and Inside Indiana Business it's my go-to source for news anymore. So I appreciate all you guys have done.
0: Well, I appreciate that. We appreciate that very much uh, indeed, Pete. And, y- you know, first of all, that, Bloomington, you know, just in terms of our coverage, we continue to enhance our, our statewide coverage, go well beyond Indianapolis. But it seems like there's a lot of momentum, uh, not just what you're doing uh, at Cook down in Bloomington, but the mill and some other, some mm-hmm. other things in Bloomington. Seems like there's a little, uh, some, some momentum down there.
1: There really is. I think the connection between IU is is stronger than ever. Uh, I think what they're doing at the Dimension Mill in terms of helping grow technology companies is really, it's all about leadership. And they have a tremendous leader there. And they're actually, they're making things work, which is not an easy thing to do, as you know. Uh, You can can put together something like that, but it doesn't always happen. So they're doing terrific work.
0: Well, certainly Cook uh, is and has for a long time been such a huge part uh, of the Bloomington area economy, the Indiana economy as well. An iconic company, $2 billion company. Uh, twelve thousand or so employees. Really, one of the true entrepreneurial success stories uh, in our state. Talk about uh, first of all that, that snap. Give us a snapshot. Uh, I think about everyone; has heard of Cook, but they might not know of the the uh, the breadth, the reach uh, that Cook has. Uh, Pete, give us a you know a thumbnail sketch of of Cook.
1: Yeah, the elevator pitch. So we're a medical device company primarily, but people may also know us from
0: the family's involvement in the French Lake
1: uh, West Bay and Resorts as well but primarily we're a medical device company. We make the tools that physicians use in in minimally invasive medicine. So from gastroenterology to cardiology to peripheral intervention, reproductive health, our model, our informal model is, if you have an orifice, we'll stick something in it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's good. (laughs) Well, you know, again, that Cook story to me is one of the great stories founded in a spare bedroom, Bill and Gail Cook, back in the early uh, 60s. And to me, when you talk about you know, you talk about the uh, the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of entrepreneurial success stories in Indiana. You got to talk about, uh, you know, Lilly and Hillenbrand and names like that. And certainly, Cook is right there. And you had the opportunity to work with Bill Cook, right?
1: Yeah, very closely for 10 years before he passed. It was an, an, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, for
0: sure. Yeah, talk talk about him, because I, I, I had the good fortune uh, on a, a few occasions. He didn't do many interviews, but I was fortunate to be able to to uh, talk to him a couple of times and, uh, just thought so much of the guy, not only because of his, his brilliance, his intelligence, which was, w- was obvious, but his, his compassion, his, his passion for Indiana and helping people give us a, uh, your, your, your take. And I don't know if there are any stories you have, but, uh, you know, to describe Bill Cook.
1: Yeah. He's just one of those people that you're, you don't come across them very often, right? He's a typical sort of brilliant. Entrepreneur, slept only for a few hours a night, whatever, all that. But in more than that, it was just his humanity. He he was very attuned to business issues, but he was also equally attuned to human issues, which I don't find is, is as common in successful leaders and successful entrepreneurs. He sort of viewed people as in the same way he viewed business, which was how do we make it better? How do we improve lives for people? How do we make this community better? How do we make the business better? How do we make our customer experience better? He would take those same approaches to whatever issue he was tackling, whether it was you know, building a new business and expanding into a different area of medicine, or it was, hey, we've got a a community in French Lick that has these amazing structures, but also 20% unemployment. How do we make sure we do something with the structures that is good for the community too? He just had this brain that worked in a way that was very methodical and thoughtful and never was limited by what other people had done before. He always wanted to say what's possible, not what have people done before.
0: And the impact of Bill and Gail Cook Extends so far beyond the you know the business side, as you just mentioned. You mentioned uh, French Lake and West Baden, but but you know so many dollars and so much effort in communities, large and small, all over the state, and there, because they had such a passion for historic preservation and 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 how that is going to live on. And we talk about a legacy that'll live on for many 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 years.
1: Well, we look at the, the involvement they had in Bloomington. People forget that Bloomington was not downtown was not a success story in the seventies and eighties. And they really said, "Hey, we're going to try and start something here. We're going to renovate, renovate one of these buildings and start spurring some activity." Now you come to Bloomington; it's one of the most vibrant downtowns that we have in our state, and all of that become is because of his vision of what it could be, not what it was.
0: Yeah, well, you and you talk about French Lake and West Baden, and I uh, remember many years ago being down there, even before I started the business show, and and uh, as a reporter in what, what obviously a state of disrepair. That, that whole situation was in, and, and if they didn't come, if Bill and, and Cook didn't come in and do it, it it would no longer be there. I, I think it was probably- It would be gone. Say, it was, yeah. it was
1: fa- literally falling to the ground. So imagine seeing the structures. Have you have seen them? They're magnificent, but they're massive. So imagine walking up and thinking, okay, this thing's falling to the ground, but we can save it, and we can do something really great for this community. You know, And at the time, not knowing whether he had the money to do it or yeah. whether he had the expertise or- all this stuff, but it didn't matter. He just said, "I'm going to find a way to do it," and
0: he did. And you talk about the impact—obviously, beautiful structures—but you talk about jobs, hundreds and hundreds of jobs, and an infusion into the economy, into an economy that was certainly of uh, very much in need of it. It was a very depressed, a tough area uh, in that Orange County area, and it's—it's it's really a breathed new life into that into that part of the state.
1: That's the way he approached everything. It was always. You know, he, he of course, would give money away, but he was much more excited about what can we do that's going to be impactful, truly impactful for people. And he believed in business. He believed in jobs. He believed in renovation. He believed in building things. When he did historic preservation, he would always say, I don't want to build a museum. I want to have a purpose in the community. I want it to be meaningful. And that was something he was always looking at. And so that's, that's kind of been the way we've approached things is we've always talked about, you can do good business, but you can also do good at the same time. And that really comes from him.
0: Yeah. And, and there are several examples we want to talk about because you're doing some very innovative things in that regard. Before we get into that, do you want to talk more current business? And I know earlier this year, you've had a lot of growth. Uh, you did have a, a layoff announcement earlier this year, about 500 employees, 4% reduction in your global workforce. It was a tough choice. I know you're quoted as saying a very hard choice at the time. Was it all related to to demand for products? What what were the, what were was the decision making around that that layoff earlier?
1: You know, it, it obviously is a, a it's the worst part of business, obviously. But I'll tell you, the world has changed so significantly since the pandemic. Everything in our world has changed: geopolitics, our supply chain, you know, the way we do our work, the way we communicate with each other. So the demand for our products is still there, but our work, the way we do our work, needs to change. And so it's the, the other. Obviously, our reduction in force is the hardest part, but it's something that we're going through. We're going through a five year sort of uh, strategic period where we're looking at everything we do and saying. Is this really going to set us up for the future of what business is going to look like, including things like AI and the way medicine is delivered? So, you know, whatever plans we had before the pandemic kind of went out the window and the world's changed on us. And so we're, we're adjusting to that.
0: Don't want to get too far in the weeds, but you mentioned AI. How how do you look? I mean, this, this AI, this world of AI is to me, on the one hand, it's fascinating. On the other hand, it's. That's a bit scary, actually. Yeah, uh, you know, in, in terms of what what it it can be. H- how how do you view how, from a business standpoint artificial intelligence?
1: Well, we obviously are watching it very closely. We have a team that's dedicated to understanding where the technologies are going. How we do our work, you know, it'll it'll impact how medicine is delivered uh, on one end, right? So, you know, physicians can are incredibly bright people, but they're limited to the world and the, and the experience that they have, and also in some some scientific papers. If you can create real-time data, real-world data that's showing how products are performing, how drugs are performing in real time across thousands of physicians, medicine's going to get better. So it's exciting in terms of how medicine will improve. But then we're also thinking about how we do our own work. And just the, you know, the beginnings of this with ChatGPT and other AI initiatives, you can start to see that it, it can take away some of the, the the non-value add, some of the drudgery of the things that we do. You can sort of outsource it to G, ChatGPT or or Microsoft Copilot is coming. Some of these things that we spend time digging through data, trying to put spreadsheets together. Some of that stuff is going to be done for us, which is terrific because we want our folks. We have a lot of really, really bright people that are spending their time doing <laughs> value-add work that we all have to do. Right. So it's exciting to think about what people can do when they're freed up from some of that, some of those tasks.
0: How about talent? Uh, it's an issue affecting uh, basically all businesses, all industries, not just here in Indiana, but Throughout the country, are you finding it okay to be able to, to attract the talent you need to do what you want to do?
1: Yeah, I do. I think Indiana is a place you can recruit to. Uh, I think people look at the cost of living. They look at the mm-hmm. stability of the state. They look at the healthcare provi- system. They look at the education system. You can recruit to here. I do think it becomes a challenge sometimes for people who have grown up in bigger cities or who are used to bigger cities. But if you have any sense of wanting to raise a family with a backyard, people see the benefit of that pretty cl- clearly. And I think the state's done a really good job of starting to align themselves around talking about what it's like to live in Indiana, Yeah, what the benefits are, uh, not just from an empl- There's obviously tax incentives and all those things and economic development, but I think it's really showing people what the quality of life looks like in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I have relatives who live in big cities and I just can't imagine it these days, right? Especially with the way the world's going. I think having, having some space for your family is, is uh, yeah. can be underestimated.
0: Yeah, you, you kind of you answered uh, my next question partially there. But uh, how about growing uh, a business, uh, a life sciences uh, health business in Indiana? Uh, you know, the state, I think there are lots of things you can point to in a very positive way, uh, whether it's in some of these advanced industries, advanced manufacturing, the life sciences, getting into semiconductors and some of these other areas. How would you describe Indiana as a place to grow a business? Well,
1: I look at something like the CHIPS Act. We're not in that business. Yeah, Right. I look right. at the CHIPS Act, right? Senator Young, great Indiana senator, uh, helped achieve that. The, the government and the state government are doing what they can. It's now up to local communities to organize themselves to realize these opportunities. And that's what we talk about locally. We talk about across the state of Indiana. These jobs and these, and these opportunities aren't going to just fall into your lap. You have to still do the work now as a community to show why somebody should locate there, why you have the infrastructure, why you have the employees that want to work there, and I think we're doing, we're getting better now as a state at doing that, and so I'm hopeful that we'll start to realize some of these opportunities.
0: You mentioned earlier, and it's, it's, I think it's part of the the Cook DNA to really engage in community and be a part of communities. Big piece of that is jobs, and as that is related to education, uh, supporting that. I, I think it was uh, maybe 2015, 2016, and I believe you were on the show, maybe talking about it, but the My Cook Pathway Initiative talk about that because i think it was and, and correct me if i'm wrong but as I, I remember it was kind of aimed at stopping that cycle of people just going from one lower wage job to another lower wage job people without high school diplomas people truly uh, aimed at changing people's lives and using education to do that
1: yeah that's you know if you look at our our we have a collection of businesses all under cook group and if you look at our purpose statement what we why why are we why do we exist And part of that talks about empowering communities and people to reach their full potential. And that's what I think the Cook family brought to the table was, how do we use our business in a way that helps people with upward mobility? How how do we change the trajectory of their lives? And that's something, you know, that changes over time. And one of the things that's happened is education has become so important to get that first job, right? You, You have to have some level of education. It's getting harder and harder. The days of, you know, going to the factory after dropping out of high school probably aren't there anymore. So the first thing we got to start with is get people educated, get them the education, the resource they need. And we were guilty of this, right? We had, a, we had a requirement that said, if you want to come work for Cook, you got to have a high school diploma. Well, when you think about that, why? It wasn't a legal requirement. It wasn't an HR requirement. It was just our requirement. So we said, you know what? We have tremendous resources like Ivy Tech, and they'll help us get these people their high school equivalency. That should be possible. So we created a program that said, come work for us in the morning, go to school in the afternoon with, at Ivy Tech. We'll pay you full time. But we're going to get you that high school equivalency. We had 300 people now graduate that program. Unfortunately, we have 25,000 people of working age in our area that don't have a high school equivalency still. Yeah. So we need more help, but we've seen other companies take up the same model. And so now we're getting hundreds of people through the system that gives them that foundational element of, you never have to say, I don't have my high school diploma again. You can walk into an employer and say, yes, I have what I need. That's the first step. And so taking those obstacles out of the way And it really, you know, it's not, I've asked people, those programs are available. If I wanted to today, I'd go out and get a free high school equivalency. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that somebody said, I'm going to, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to give you a job and I'm going to ask you to do this. That changed it completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, And people got very, very excited about that concept. And you you talk to people who I do it. I, I have, I have lunch with all of our graduates. And what they say is most of them are women who were pregnant in high school and had to drop out. And they just want their kids to see the value of education. They want their kids
0: to understand how important that is. That's generational change if you can do that. Talk about, I don't know if there are any stories that stand out to you, but you mentioned you have lunch with all these graduates. It's got to be, I I think on one, it's got to be inspiring uh, for you to sit down and hear these stories and hear how this program, hear how how the companies literally, you know, change lives.
1: Yeah. You know, it's incredible. I talked to other employers about this and, Sometimes they'll say, well, I'm not sure I'm going to the quality of the employee that I want. Or, so what I tell that, I always tell the person who's saying that to me. And it's usually a VP of something, right? right. <laughs> I always say to them, look, you go take the uh, math portion of the high school equivalency. You tell me how you did on that. <laughs> and that shuts the conversation down pretty quickly. Yeah. But what I, you know, I'll give you one of our first graduates was a woman. She moved from Chicago because of this job opportunity. She came down to Bloomington for this job opportunity, this education opportunity. She had kids. Same story. She wanted them to see the value of education, but she wanted something more for her own life. She came to us, went through the high school equivalency program. And then a couple of years later, I was asking about her and somebody said, well, she left. And I was, I was kind of like, oh my God, why, why did she leave? Well, she went back to nursing school, mm. which is terrific, right? That's, that's the exact pathway we want. She's not working for Cook anymore, but now we have somebody in Bloomington who was a nurse, which we desperately need. And she's improving her life through those steps. That's, that's the whole idea of that program is just don't Give somebody a job. Let's get them on a pathway to helping them improve their their life and their family lives.
0: Another program uh, that I found and find fascinating was what you did uh, with the manufacturing uh, operation that you uh, put in an Indianapolis neighborhood near northeast side neighborhood 38th and Sheridan area. Tough, tough area economically. And, and again, I think it's another example of of Cook saying, you know, you can do good business, but also go, do good things at the same time. Talk about the, the the decision-making process, because to me, on the one hand, I mean, it sounds great, but I, I would think there would be a level of maybe a level of a risk involved there that uh, many companies would not want to take. But you put a, a manufacturing plant in this neighborhood, invested the money there, all the workers, I believe, are from that neighborhood. And then there's a grocery store component, I know, uh, in addition to that, in that neighborhood. So it truly is investing in the neighborhood. Talk about uh, that project and how it came about. Because I think, if I remember right, it opened uh, last year, maybe a year ago or so.
1: Yeah, the manufacturing facility is up and running. Uh, we have about 65 employees now, 100 by the end of the year. Uh, that really came about, we had a long partnership with Goodwill Southern and central Indiana. We were trying to hire people with obstacles to employment, you know, like being out of prison or maybe disabilities or substance use disorder. Found we were not very good at that as a company. We don't understand the needs of those folks. Goodwill really does. They have the support structures to help people get stable, to help them get transportation, childcare, et cetera. So we had a long partnership with them, helping them. They would hire folks and then they would come to cook. And we said, you know, after um, George Floyd was murdered, we don't feel like the kind of company that just wants to put out a, a statement or use a hashtag on Instagram or something. We want to we want to actually be action-oriented and be part of this discussion. And so we went to Indianapolis and started talking to neighborhoods and started talking to communities and said, you know, these are communities that have seen, they're predominantly black communities, that have seen opportunity leave over the last 40 years. How can we be a part of that solution? How can we do differently? And so we met some people, uh, Ashley Gervitz being one, was a community leader there. And she said, hey, come meet our p- people. She didn't talk about tax incentive. She didn't talk about all the economic development opportunities, which other people did. She said, I want you to come meet the people. And we did. And we we're like, wow, you know what? There, this is a really tight-knit community that really is desperate for opportunity that's put themselves in a place to be ready for this. And when you find something like that, it's easy to put your energy. We needed the capacity. So we could have built it in Bloomington. We could have built it in Mexico. We could have built it anywhere. But we thought, why not build it in a place where people are ready for opportunity that They have not seen it in a while? And we can be part of this discussion about how do we make sure that, that this American system works for everybody, not just a few places in the state or in the country? And so we partnered with them, uh, built this manufacturing facility. Goodwill runs it and operates it. They provide wraparound services for people. And I, I talked to an employee there who he came up and he said, you know what? This last week, I got my ankle bracelet off. It's the first time in 30 years I have been a free man. And it's because of this job. When you, wow. when you have those experiences... And you're, and you're doing business that you'd be doing anyways, why not do that too? Why not give people that chance? Wow. And that's the, that's the mindset I'm trying, where we're trying to make sure that other business leaders understand is, do your business. Just think about it in a little different way where one and one equals three.
0: Yeah. You, know, you mentioned goodwill, uh, and I don't think uh, many people understand the impact and, and, and the substantial work that Goodwill does. Everybody sees the, the retail stores and those are important, but with their job training and retraining, they, they are just difference makers to the nth degree. Yeah,
1: they're, they're a fundamental institution of our state. They provide services and there's tremendous not-for-profits out there. Just the model that Goodwill has is so incredible. They do all the retail, obviously, which provides jobs. Those jobs in the retail are really about that first step in getting back to upward mobility. They do manufacturing like they do for us, but they also do adult high schools, which has thousands of people every yep. year who have dropped out of high school. These are incredible programs and in helping people get back to that, that the workforce that we need, getting them past the, the drive-through jobs and, and Wendy's, you know, these are important jobs, but these, these things that, that Goodwill is doing is really moving people forward in life.
0: Yeah. Do you think, uh, Pete, that this that this model will be replicated or is being replicated elsewhere? Because I think it's you really went all in in terms of investing in the plant, investing in making sure the neighborhood supplied the workers, the grocery store piece. I think the 100 percent or very close to it participation from contractors, Mm -hmm. minority uh, contractors. Uh, Is this something that can be replicated? Uh,
1: Absolutely, because the thing about it is it wasn't philanthropy. Right. So we're not doing this as philanthropy. We're doing it as our business. And we're just saying, how do we do it in the way? And what's interesting about it, when you do it intentionally like this, there are so many institutions that come up and they align with you, whether that's Ivy Tech or the state or the city funding, all of the programs that are out there to help people, when they have this opportunity, it aligns them perfectly in their mission as well. And so we got more help than we've ever had building a facility and and getting the workforce. I mean, it was like it took on a life of its own because we had so many tremendous partners there that took a lot of the work off of us. So there's advantages to doing this too from a purely business perspective. And I think people think about it sometimes as philanthropy. It's not. It's really just doing your business in partnership with these
0: amazing uh, not-for-profits. Much more ahead with Pete Youngman, the uh, president at uh, Cook Group. And when we return, we'll talk about uh, the early days. Pete growing up in uh, Northwest Indiana, his path to uh, to Cook Group and a lot more. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Bank. all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Pete Yonkman. Pete is the president of Cook Group and Cook Medical, based in Bloomington, with, with operations uh, around the globe. And uh, Pete, want to talk about uh, you are you are a native Hoosier, true Hoosier, grew up in Northwest Indiana, right? Born and bred. Yep. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about growing up in Crown Point, Indiana. Well, we were affectionately call ourselves region rats, uh, <laughs> of
1: course. Uh, you know, yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, only if you grew up there, that you can call yeah. It was a great place to grow up. I. You know, we, we always lined a little bit more of Chicago, to be honest, mm-hmm. all of our TV came from Chicago and our media came from Chicago, but tremendous community, diverse community, a lot of steel workers, you know, people who relied on the steel industry for their jobs. And it was a very working class community and, uh, had a great downtown, great courthouse, just a, a nice place to to grow up.
0: Yeah. So do you like, uh, you're obviously a smart guy. So you, you know, you liked, uh, like school books, you could play, uh, sports music. What, what, what would you yeah, like it?
1: I was okay at school. I was not the uh, classic uh, studying until I couldn't study anymore that kind of person. But I did. I played tennis all the way through high school, grew up playing basketball as well. We had Gary Roosevelt came to town one time and Glenn Robinson was on the team. And that's when I realized my basketball career was over (laughs) once I saw that level of talent. So moved over to tennis.
0: The history, I'm fascinated by Northwest Indiana. I know they're concerned up there with the U.S. steel possibly uh, uh, being for sale or being for sale, they might maybe acquired, it has such a rich heritage population, obviously, gateway to Chicago, a lot of opportunities, a lot of potential. They've, they've suffered uh, over the last number of decades, and it, it's been tough for a lot of people to watch that decline for whatever the reasons, you could count multiple reasons. But as you look at it as a native, as you look at at the region and what's transpired there, your thoughts? Yeah. A
1: lot of it, to be honest, when you go up there now, it's become a suburb of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, it's it's sort of a sprawl from there, which I think presents a lot of opportunity, but also uh, a little bit of loss of the community and the sense of what, you know, I also think it's been out of the discussion at the state level for as long mm-hmm. as I can remember. Uh, I think we need to do a better job of the state of understanding the resources and the assets we have in that region. You know, I grew up playing tennis, as I said, and I would I would drive every day after school, downtown Gary, at the convention center there had a tennis facility. And play tennis there. And I, I went back a few months ago to Gary and I, I just was sad to see that it hadn't advanced much. And in fact, in many ways, it may have declined in terms of resources available to people in the community there. And I just think we have not at a state and local level done a really good job supporting that community. And I think we need to do better.
0: Yeah. And I think, it, you know, from some of our reporting and being up there, which on the flip side, I, I think is nice to see is the extension of the South Shore rail line and double tracking and number of communities up there investing in quality of life. So I think, uh, I think there's a feeling up there they can turn things around and I think, in fact, are uh, to an extent doing that. And getting people actually, because of the tax climate and other things, getting people who work downtown Chicago maybe to move over and live in some of those communities, which is positive.
1: Well, there's, a, there's something to be said about living in a state that has their financial act together. Yeah. Uh, I think people are starting to realize that's an important factor.
0: Yeah. It, it, growing up, as uh, you look back on it, do you have any particular role models or what, what, uh, what got you excited and got you motivated to do things? Oh boy. That's a good question.
1: Obviously I grew up in the Jordan era. So okay. uh, watching Michael Jordan was just, it was a spectacular time in sports in Chicago and yep. Blackhawks and going to Chicago stadium. It was just an incredible sports scene back then. Yeah, uh, So that was a big part of my life. But, you know, funny enough, I grew up, watching Charlie Rose every day. For some reason, I became a Charlie Rose addict early on in life. Interesting, yeah. And uh, just watching the, the discussions, of public policy leaders and business leaders and religious leaders, all trying to tackle the same issues, I thought was something that I still do is go back and watch those episodes sometime just to learn from people uh, about how they did things.
0: Did, when you talk about that, uh, whether it's a Charlie Rose or some of those discussion programs and some of the discussion that took place, Obviously, much of that seems to be lost today with, you know, we're so polarized on the left or the right. And, you know, that discussion that you talk about that used to take place doesn't seem to take place anymore.
1: No, it's awful. I, I just am so sad to see the level of discourse and what it has become, uh, because I don't find that true. To, I don't find that to be true in reality. It just yeah. exists on the internet, on TV. But when you get with p- real people and you're dealing with real issues, it's not yeah. that way. And somehow we've, but we're making it worse by the national conversation, social media. I find our politicians now are playing to that level. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to get attention by being outrageous. They're trying to get attention by being the loudest voice in the room. I really, I, I actually think Indiana has a great tradition of leadership, of being serious states, people who understand their public servants. You may disagree with them, but you can't argue that they're not serious about their job and trying to make Indiana better. We have, we have Lee Hamilton, Dick yeah. Luger, Mitch Daniels. I mean, I was, people have differences in all those folks, but they were serious about the job and they were serious about that. I, we're we it's just a shame to see that we don't have more of that in our politicians.
0: Yeah. It, you made your way to uh, to Bloomington, right, Indiana University?
1: Yeah, uh, went to undergraduate and law school there.
0: Okay, what did you, what you, what you study, and why 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 IU was it always going to be IU, or did you think about going anywhere else?
1: It was always going to be IU. My parents both went there. My dad went to law school here. Uh, I kind of in the back of my mind, I want to go to law school, so I studied psychology and philosophy, which are the perfect entrees into law school, as you can imagine. But I, I love that training. I wouldn't my, the liberal arts training I got at IU. I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't give that up for the world. I think in today's world, particularly where there are so many issues that you have to deal with, so much technology change, being able to understand how people work, how systems work, how societies work, and all that fits together, I think is. Uh, I, I encourage people. I think people think liberal arts is it's struggling, but I actually think it's going to become more valuable as time goes on.
0: So once you got out of IU, where, where did you go initially? Because you've been a cook for a while. You're chief counsel uh, there as well. But what uh, was that first job out of out of college?
1: So I went to Michigan, uh, worked for a title insurance company, did underwriting there. And then I knew some people from all my time here in Bloomington that said, hey, cook's looking for an attorney. You know, why don't you come down and apply for that? And so I did. And not a hard argument to make to come back to Bloomington. Uh, yeah after you've only been out of school for a few years.
0: Yeah. What uh, What's next? What's uh, uh, next for Pete Yonkman and Cook? Uh, so many things going on uh, on the business side, as we've talked about, uh, as you look at the next, uh, that vision for the next five to 10 years, what's going to be really occupying your, filling your plate up?
1: Well, I, we talked a little bit about AI and, and, and also the impact on the workforce, but I think the workforce in general is changing. You know, I find that we as companies need to do a better job of explaining to our, our teams how everything fits together, the why of the work that we do. You know, I think that the, the older hierarchical model of of organizations is, is changing. Uh, I don't know if people understand it or not, but it really is changing. My job, I feel, is like I need to spend a lot of time getting people to understand the importance of why they should give their efforts and their talents and their time uh, to a mission. And I think that's something that we have to think about deeply. Uh, I think, remote work i know people are trying to move away from it i don't think it's going to ever go away completely mm-hmm. uh i think you're going to the way we communicate is different the way we organize our teams is different so I, i'm going to spend a lot of time over the next few years thinking about how we organize ourselves how we work but what it also means to be a socially responsible citizen as a corporation uh, and as a group as a group of employees what does that mean and then obviously a lot of the technological advances are coming down the pipe are really exciting for us in terms of our pipeline and and how we can treat patients in a way that we couldn't before.
0: Certainly, uh, Indiana uh, continues to benefit uh, from Cook Group, from leadership, Bill and Gail Cook, Steve Ferguson, and certainly you, Pete Yonkman. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join me on the podcast and appreciate all you do for Indiana as well.
1: Thank you. Same to you. I appreciate all the good work you guys are doing at uh, IBJ and IB. It's really important.
0: All right. Pete Yonkman, the president of Cook Medical and Cook Group. I guess this week on the Business and Beyond podcast, it's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can hear every episode of the podcast and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gary Dick. We'll see you next time.